This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine This Week. Today, we're going to be talking about Volkswagen of America. That's because our special guest for today is an executive with a lot of experience in the automotive industry, having worked at Mercedes-Benz and Audi, and is now the Chief Executive Officer of Volkswagen of America. Scott Keogh, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, John, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure, thank you. And also joining us for today's show is Dan Neal, the car critic, car reviewer for the Wall Street Journal, Pulitzer Prize winner, and uh, just a fun guy to have around anytime. Dan, hello out there. That's very kind of you, John. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here as well. That's great. Well, Scott, let's get into it. I, I, what I want to ask you is, how do you assess what's going on in the, in the market right now with this pandemic from the standpoint that, uh, you know, May, June, July, we're seeing sales get stronger, stronger, stronger. But as you know, uh, the, the market was just dead as a doornail uh, earlier than that. Not What I'm wondering is, did we create a little bit of pent-up demand and, and that's what we're seeing right now? Or do you see this market continuing to, to grow stronger in the ha second half of the year? Well, John, look, I, I, I think this year has been quite topsy-turvy, as you know. If I look at January and February, the market was off, frankly, to a hot start. Everyone was feeling good about things. And then, of course, the, the pandemic came. If you look at what everyone said about the pandemic at that time, it was clearly the market's going to be 70 to 80 percent down. So this was the complete automotive apocalypse. If you look at McKinsey and everything that was projected, frankly, it didn't happen. Uh, yes, the market was soft, but it was soft to a tune of, let's say, 30 to 40 percent down. And honestly, John, if you look at the retail market, the retail market has been resilient. The corporate market is what has been 70 to 80 percent down obviously re car rental business and corporate business and things like that. As I look to the future, I think, look, you have to be braced. These are uneasy times. Uh, uh, you see the fact that uh, COVID cases are building up in the South and building up in the West. From a health point of view, the situation is getting systemically worse. So what does that mean to me? It means you have to be cautious. Keep your supply tight. Keep your inventory tight. Keep your turn rates strong. And of course, focus on the overall health of the business. And I think our dealers are doing this. Now, what do I see? Look, I am uh, optimist. Uh, I see the market's going to continue to fight through on a retail point of view. But where it lands, John, the market is still going to be 20% down. I would project the market at around 13.3, 13.4 million for the year. We see 21 still being down. It's not until, frankly, calendar year 22 where the see the market returning to the 17 million. You know, but John, I'm one of these executives, people are acting as if 17 million is an awful market. It's an extremely high market. And even something a little bit below that, still in my opinion, gives manufacturers enough room to breathe, move and, and operate successfully. But again, err on the side of caution, watch inventory, watch turn rates, watch expense structures from my point of view, John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, hi, Scott. Uh, Dan here. Hey, Dan. Uh, so uh, I'd like you to reflect on the past two years of uh, trade policy with the U.S. Uh, in, in Germany, how it has uh, uh, how it has affected things. It seems like there has been a lot of added friction 
uh, and what was once a, a very free uh, global kind of uh, approach to car building uh, has become much more provincial, much more market centric. Uh, and uh, I wonder if you've managed to, you know, onshore from our perspective, uh, a lot of manufacturing, you build a future product in Tennessee, but how has it been? Could it have been easier? What could we do better going forward uh, as far as national trade policy in automobiles? Well, Dan, uh, you asked the question, could it be easier? Look, I think a lot of things could be easier in the automotive business. Let's look at this on two fronts. Uh, I think, you know, the first front is, of course, the threat of the 232 tariffs with, uh, with Europe and whether 20 or 25 percent. I think, as you know, this has been a ongoing back and forth with the Trump administration basically from day one. And fortunately, it has not manifested itself yet, as you know quite well. And my thing is quite clear. We as automobile manufacturers, we are not government officials. We are not trade negotiators. We deal with the ramifications of trade. And I think we will navigate, as we have for the last 70, 80 years, whatever comes our way. The second biggest one, I think, as your point, of course, is NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA. And I think, as you know, we will be submitting our final proposal. It will be the third or fourth iteration. The deadline is the uh, end of August. And frankly, we are ready to comply. And what this has meant for us is we will be localizing a lot uh, of our part suppliers, whether they're in Asia right now or whether they're in Mexico, and moving a fair amount uh, to America. But of course, we have a long runway to achieve. And our goal is clear. We want to achieve USMCA, and we will achieve USMCA, frankly. If you look at it specifically from Volkswagen, basically 94 to 95% of our volume comes from the region. That's why I'm responsible for the region, which of course is Canada, America, uh, and Mexico. And so if you look at it, the majority of our cars come from Chattanooga and of course uh, come from Puebla in Mexico. And the majority of our supply and infrastructure is in those two markets. So we are ready to comply. But without a doubt, it has put a nationalist defensive bent on the car market. If I look at it from an automotive point of view, what we want is free and open, fair trade everywhere. When we build a plant, that plant has a 20 to 30 year time horizon. You don't want to build a plant based on assumption X, and then the day the plant's in the ground, assumption Y comes to be. This uneasiness, without a doubt, is not good. <laughs> I think Volvo did that in South Carolina, just in exactly that tempo and sequence. Uh, and uh, it was uh, frightening to watch. And I talk about uh, seeing the train that's going to hit you. Uh, but uh, oh, very good. And, uh, and, and there have been a lot of uh, uh, big uh, uh, Fortune 500 companies other, coming forward, making social statements about Black Lives Matter, especially addressing uh, 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 serious uh, issues on a local basis, Alabama, uh, Tennessee. Now, uh, I, I know that it's not your business to be political and it's not good for business for car companies generally to be political, but since you have such deep roots in, the, in Tennessee, uh, what is your feeling about uh, the the uh, the election a hundred days out, and and does it uh, does it change anything? Yeah, Dan. Frankly, I have little to say about the election and little to say about politics. But I think you chose a somewhat loaded word. But I don't view Black Lives Matter uh, as a political thing. Uh, I think what uh, happened, obviously, in the streets of uh, Minneapolis was tragic and, uh, and uh, heartbreaking. There's no other word for it. So we sent out a strong statement as Volkswagen Group of America. 
because frankly, we represent African-American employees in our workforce. Uh, we represent uh, these people day in and day out in, in, in our dealerships. So in my mind, companies should and have to take a stand. And I don't view it as political. I view it as American. I view it as civil rights. I view it as human rights. And I don't think it's a Republican Democratic issue to want basic civil and human rights for all Americans. I believe it's what the country was founded on. It's what Americans believe in. And I don't think we should politicize basic human values in my mind. And I think you're right. And I think the Times wrote an interesting piece the other day. What is the role of corporations? Are corporations pure profit machines uh, that cynically forgets the entire world and says, make money, money, money? Or are they social institutions? And I think, look, we're not in the best position to be a social institution. I think governments are. I think NGOs are. I think there's a lot of other institutions that are better at it. But companies cannot naively sit on the sidelines. Uh, we employ 22,000 people just in the region, plus uh, thousands of more at our dealerships. Companies do need to take a broader role. And I view it as a human rights and a civil rights and uh, an American equity thing. And we have a lot of work to do as a company. So those are my thoughts on that, Dan. Mm -hmm. okay. Scott, uh, has the COVID pandemic affected Volkswagen of America's plans for rolling out electric vehicles? Uh, outside of Tesla, Volkswagen looks to be maybe the largest automaker committed to electrifying its lineup. I'm just curious, has the pandemic affected your plans in uh, the US? Absolutely not, John. They have not. And I think your second point is true. We have big dreams and big ambitions. And, and my goal is to achieve those dreams and ambitions. From my perspective, I think a lot of people have looked at what I'll call the basic rudimentary math and said, ah, electrification, gas prices are cheaper. Consumers are going to be looking for value. The value equation on electrification isn't quite there. Okay. I understand that point. I think what's happened with COVID is something far more profound than that. I have held conversations with people that says, I've seen the skyline of Los Angeles, which I haven't seen in 15 years. Uh, I live, of course, in the DC, Northern Virginia market. And you see people seeing vistas of DC that they haven't ever seen before when they're out hiking. So one, the air is better. Two, you're seeing it in breathability. You're seeing in a lot of indexes that people are seeing cleaner air is a good thing. It's not a bad thing to Dan's point. It's not a political thing. The second thing, of course, the overwhelming majority of the charging comes from your home. The home's a secure environment. You know the handle, you know everything, you avoid going to the gas station. So I see electrification as an opportunity. And the biggest reason I see it, and you can say what you want about COVID, but to me, I view it as a level of unpreparedness. I think we are unprepared as a society. We're unprepared as a country, not a political statement. It's a fact. And I think if we don't deal with the ramifications of climate change, this is going to be far more complicated and potentially far more disastrous from sea levels to climate change uh, to heat. And I think the chance is now uh, to strike at this issue. The other thing, John, to get more pragmatic, it's our firm view at Volkswagen. Yes, you need to look after liquidity. Yes, you need to look after cost. But the market will return and you never want to make strategic cuts. You'll save a few million dollars today but you'll lose tens of millions of dollars of opportunity in the future. So we have full bore ahead on electrification. The ID4 is a product that we'll be showing uh, to the market in September. We'll be launching that car at the end of this year, early next year. And frankly, uh, one of the only things, the only travel trip I've taken in terms of COVID is I went down to 
Atlanta the other day. It's close to Chattanooga, a little easier to get to. I had a chance to drive the ID4 on U.S. roads uh, through Atlanta, through some of the suburbs there. Uh, I can't wait to get it here. The car is cool. And that's what the debate's about. Make a cool car. And that's what we got. Well, let me follow up with that then. Um, do you think this is an opportunity for Volkswagen of America to regain share in the U.S. market? You've done a pretty good job, even during the COVID. I mean, your sales are way down, but you've you've picked up a little bit of market share. I'm just wondering of trying to be, you know, firstest with the mostest with EVs, if this might represent a chance for Volkswagen to really start growing big time in the U.S. market. Yeah, John, I firmly believe it is. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. I think historically, if you look at Volkswagen, when we were in our sweet spot, what Volkswagen does is it offers incredible technology, great transportation at a great price. So I think if you can look at how the Beatles sort of democratized mobility, if, if you will, across America, I think we have the ability to really democratize electrification across America. It, it's a calling for us. And I think it's one that we can deliver with this, uh, with this price point. So first and foremost, absolutely. The second thing, John, which is important is historically, when we've come into segments, you wanna come in early, as you know. But if I look at a car like the Atlas or I look at a car like the Tiguan, they're doing fantastic, they're gaining share, but I view it like a Formula One race where we're entering in the fourth or fifth row. And I think as you know, Formula One now, unless it starts raining, it's tough uh, to get up there uh, from the fourth or fifth row. Yes, you have to do it incremental. This vehicle that we have, frankly, puts us in the, in the first row. No one else has a car like this entering the marketplace right now. Yes, Tesla has the Model Y. I think we can beat it on the price point. But if I look at the core competitors, to me, the battle of the ID4 is not about Tesla and the interchange of Tesla. The battle of the ID4 is there are 35 million ACVs on the road. 4.2 million of them sold each year from HRVs to RAV4s to, to Supra's and, and Tiguan's. And I want those customers to drive this car and say, bah, this is the future. So I would much rather be in row one with a new vehicle and something that no one else has than fighting your way in the rain in uh, in row five. So yeah, I think it is a chance and one I'm, I'm anxious to pursue. Well, we're anxious to pursue, John. Um, hey, great. Uh, I uh, I drove uh, the Polestar 2. Uh, it's sitting in front of my house. The truck's going to come get it any minute now. And uh, it's also a very accomplished electric car with a real uh, real sense of style, real sense of self and identity. It has uh, pretty good nominals, 291 range, 300 kilowatts horsepower, uh, I don't forget, 88 kilowatt hours. And so it, it, so they have uh, they have an advantage, the shorter supply line in China. In, uh, in, in Germany, the elect VW's electrification efforts had uh, uh, had some challenges with procurement uh finding the batteries and by the time the battery procurement was uh, scaled up there was a generational change in performance uh metrics for these batteries they started to get stronger lighter smaller and, and so i just wonder this is is there a place to uh pause or to leap forward is uh, because the technology is moving so fast is there some way that uh, you can take advantage of that and not sort of be wed to the incrementalism of the plan that's been laid out, the, the five-year plan that's been laid out? Yeah. Yeah. Look, Dan, if you look at the ID4, and that's the one I, I will look at, obviously, we're looking at the entire life cycle of this car 
And as opposed to what the historical thing is, to your point, that says, okay, market will stay on the car seven to eight years, depending on the life cycle. You'll do a refresh at this time point. At that refresh is the only time that it makes sense to put the big investment in. Generally, it tends to be about a quarter of the investment of a new car, and away you go. Look, we are not naive. We fundamentally recognize with electrification that this needs to be happening yearly. And I think if you look at all the things that go into range, as you well know, it's not just the battery itself. There's the software, there's the performance drive unit, there's everything you can do with the drive motor. So we're looking at the ID4 literally year by year that says two things, what can give us more range and what can give us lower cost? Because for us, Dan, you know, the big measure that I'm looking at is I wanna give maximum range at the least cost. Because I think eventually, as you know, at our price points, I don't think the battle is going to be give me 400, 500 miles of range. Uh, in my mind, uh, the consumer can live quite, quite well in the 250 to 300 to a little bit over 300 camp at the right price point. So, no, we intend to do that. And whether it's with the cells, whether it's eventually moving into solid state, whether it's with performance drive unit, whether it's with software and regen, all of these variables, we will attack them year by year because we recognize you can't have a static vehicle. It's not going to work because, as you know, there's cycles and new vehicles coming in all the time, and we will stay competitive. So I understand your point, but frankly, I think we're responding. And as you know, we will be importing the ID4 uh, from Svikau uh, at the very beginning, but we are localizing that car. Localizing that car, of course, is the big investment with SK Innovation down in, uh, in northern Georgia. And that will bring a new set of technology from the import to the localized, and then we'll keep going from there, Dan. How, how is that going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, first, it was good to drive the car uh, in, uh, in Atlanta the other day, as I referenced. I drove down to the plant uh, a number of weeks ago, down to Chattanooga. And as you know, we have two major things. We have battery assembly and we have car assembly. So the good news is the factory is completely covered. Uh, everything is with the rainy season and everything else. We're ready for new business. Right now, we are laying out the schematics of the plant. And the schematics are basically where do you place all of the robots to get the sympathy, as you will, going along. So it's going well. We will import. Uh, I mean, we will, uh, from SKI, take the batteries and the cells. And we'll do that assembly on the plant as long as the manufacturing. So, so far, COVID hasn't impacted anything. We'll be ramping up the car in 2022, as always. And we're excited. We're really excited by this opportunity. Scott, Volkswagen of America was late to the party when it comes to crossovers and SUVs. Uh, in fact, you've picked up market share because you've got them in your lineup right now with the <laughs> yes. Tiguan and, and the Atlas. I, I find it fascinating that you're bringing the ID4 to the American market because it's a crossover looking vehicle yeah. as opposed to the ID3, which is launching in Europe right now. Yeah. Is that going to be your plan going forward as you bring out electrics, really beef up your crossover SUV line? Yeah. Look, John, you're right. We were late to the game. If I look at it now, though, 55% of our sales year to date come from SUVs. Of course, the Tiguan and the Atlas, the new Crossport have been well received. So this is no debate. As I mentioned, the biggest segment in the U.S. car market is the ASOV. We historically hadn't even been there, nearly four and a half million cars. We're there now. And uh, if you look at Tiguan Gen 1, the Tiguan Gen 2, we've doubled our sales. The Atlas is quite successful. So we're pleased. The reason we went with the ID4 is quite clear. Uh, the hatchback segment, and believe me, I drive an e-Golf. 
I learned to drive on a uh, on a rabbit, so I'm a I'm a hatch driver. I love it. But the segment is a is a hundred thousand cars, <laughs> and the uh, ID four segment is four million cars. So obviously, we wanted to lead with the market opportunity. And as I said, we want to democratize electrification, get volume out there, and you have to fight in these segments. So that's why we did it. The second product we'll be bringing, I think, is far more of a brand halo. It's, of course, the uh, the ID Buzz, which I can't wait to get here. I think it's uh, it's everything Volkswagen should be doing. It's cool as heck. Uh, and I think, you know, if you look at a van as being, a, you know, let's say a mommy uh, or a dad vehicle, you will 100% be the coolest damn mom or dad in the world driving this thing. So I, I'll, I'll take it. That's a daddy vehicle if I'm driving this cool thing. Uh, and then, of course, we have two other ideas. Being a platform, we're able to put multiple hats so we'll announce them when we're ready. But it made sense in my mind to lead with the ID4, far bigger market opportunity, uh, John, on that front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, that was my follow-up question because my wife turned to me yesterday and said, where's the damn boss? Uh, yeah, that, that's what I say every day, Dan. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get him out. The other question is, uh, I, I wonder, uh, after you're done with it, I'd like to have a go at the uh, the speed car, the uh, the R. Uh, you know, the, the Pike Speed car. Uh, Absolutely. Some le asphalt lake somewhere where I can't be hurt. Uh, uh, looks like fun. Yeah, we had uh, we had plans to bring it here for an event. We wanted to break another record. Uh, nothing to be announced, but of course, COVID came. But we'll get it here again because the car is, uh, as you know, it took a run up Pikes already. We had another record we wanted to break in the U.S. And uh, we'll get it here soon. The car is a blast. And Again, I think it speaks to electrification. You know, Dan, as, as I look at it uh, very simplistically, about 95, 96% of Americans have never set foot in an electric car. So the mission here is not this inter-tribal Tesla Volkswagen, Tesla Volkswagen. No, it's to get mainstream Americans in this technology. And I think we can do that. And they're going to they're love it when they do because the car is fun and cool. That's right. Scott, what are your thoughts about pickup trucks? I mean, Volkswagen in the past has had a little compact pickup yeah, in the did. U.S. market. Uh, it's been real hard for Toyota, Nissan, and Honda to go up against uh, the Detroit 3 in the pickup segment. Would electric pickups be at all an appeal for Volkswagen? And it looks like there's a whole bunch of others jumping into that segment. Yeah, there are. It's heating up. I think it's cool. I think the Rivian product uh, looks awesome. There's a couple of other ones uh, on the way. And of course, uh, Ford and GM have jumped in aggressively. John, I, th I think you nailed it. For us to go into a teeth of a brutally competitive segment and says, here comes Volkswagen, frankly, isn't going to work. Uh, there's a reason uh, the C pickup segment is 80% domestic. They do a good job there. They've got it covered. And I don't know if we can differentiate it. So frankly, the question is, where can we differentiate in order to attack this market opportunity? In me, there's two places. Either we pursue it a little bit smaller and we come in with a Volkswagen style, good packaging, great fuel economy, great enthusiasm, and come in with more of a A-size type of vehicle. I think you see Ford's discussing this. Hyundai is obviously doing one uh, as well. It's something worth looking at, or we do it with electrification. Right? I completely agree with you. So these are things we have these possibilities, but for me, I'm always a bigger fan of fulfilling the segments that we're in. And I think we have a lot more room to grow in the current SUV segments that we have. We have a lot of room to grow with the ID4 before we go out and enter new areas. But the two we're looking at actively is either go smaller and make a difference, real fuel economy fun. And if you look at what Volkswagen did, you know, with the Rabbit Golf, with the Jetta, those segments 
really drained. It got significantly smaller. Could we bring that back to life with a pickup lifestyle vehicle? I think we could. And uh, we'll look at those two opportunities. But it makes no sense to go into the big C areas. You mentioned it's tough for Nissan. It's tough for Toyota. And uh, grant the domestics what they have. They have that covered. And we won't have a good point of view in there to make a difference. And we want to make a difference if we come with a car. Very good. Dan, you got another question? We're getting down uh, to the end. I, right I want the question. Absolutely. Uh, so um, just for off what's we're on the topic, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If, uh, if you weren't subject to the chicken tax and you were to build said uh, theoretical pickup in Chattanooga, uh, w would that help the, uh, the, the modeling then? We help the model help on USMCA. Yes. And would, and would it, yeah. And we've 100%. got about a minute for the answer. Would it help the business case? Would it pursue that? Would it, uh, would it make a difference in the business case in terms of a small pickup or something like that? Potentially. Yeah. The, the only thing Dan would have to look at is where we have that platform already and where could we localize that smaller platform sits already in, in, uh, in Puebla, as you know, so it'd be easier to make it down there because the platform exists already versus Chattanooga, where we'd have to modify the, uh, the uh, either modify or launch an all new platform. So right. yeah. And the cost basis a little better in Puebla, but of course the USMCA basis a little better in Chattanooga, but we would run the math as we greenlight that thing, Dan, as you can imagine. Yep. Thank you. Scott, we've got a, a just real quick uh, uh, question here for me. Oxnard Engineering Campus, he just opened a new engineering campus in California. Yep. Quickly, 30 seconds, what's that about? Uh, that's where we have our design center. So I think it's very important to have localized design. It's where we also do or of all our homologation. So when we're looking at the range of the ID4 or we're looking at homologating vehicles, it all happens live in there. So I think it's very cool that we have the tech and the homologation uh, merged up and married with the design center in Oxnard. So it just opened up uh, just a few months ago. Thanks for recognizing that, John. But that's what it's about. And look, California, as you know, is the heart and soul of the American car market in terms of trend. And that's why we want the talent from there. We want the designers from there. Uh, and we want the engineers from there as well. And so that's why Oxnard made a lot of sense uh, for us, John. Real good. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Scott Keogh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Very interesting what you're doing at Volkswagen of America. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Always a pleasure catching up you guys. Thank you Yeah, Dan, great having you on the show as always. Thank you, gentlemen. It was wonderful talking to you. I look forward to uh, being with you again sometime. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. All the best, gentlemen. All right.